So the reading for this morning, as mentioned earlier, is Ruth 3. Uh, This is a third part of our series on the book of Ruth uh, that Reuben has been doing. Uh, I believe it will be up on the screen behind me. Perfect. Ruth 3 says, One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned And there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as... had done for her and added he gave me these six measures of barley saying don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed then Naomi said wait my daughter until you find out what happens thanks Jacob Uh, good morning Am I on? Do I need to do anything? No, I think we're good. Uh, It is really great to be with you, uh, particularly because I wasn't sure I'd be able to. Uh, There's been some sickness in our house. Uh, So yesterday I recorded a sermon uh, video just in case I went down, but I woke up this morning feeling fit and healthy, and I'm very glad that I can be with you in person as we look at this great chapter in Ruth together. Let's pray, uh, and then we'll jump into it. 
Lord God, we pray as we begin because we are beginning on a task that is spiritual. Uh, We are seeking to understand these words that you have caused to be written through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit so that even in our very lives today in the 21st century, uh, we might be transformed as we meet Jesus the Redeemer. So we pray that you would be doing that uh, through your word, through the Holy Spirit, through me, um, that riverbank, that this church would be grown and transformed this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I was thinking about what to call the sermon, and I wondered about uh, something like Dating 101, or uh, maybe just three steps to finding a godly husband. Because uh, what we have in this passage really is just, just a wonderful guide uh, to how to find true love, isn't it? Uh, so first, just get dolled up in your nicest clothes and your best perfume. Uh, second, stalk the man you're interested in and watch where he falls asleep. Uh, and then third, creep into his bed after he's asleep, uncover his feet, that's important, and then lie down and wait for him to wake And, uh, you know, what could possibly go wrong, really? Uh, That is all there is to it. Well, uh, even if you do have access to a local threshing floor, I'm not sure that copying Ruth's actions in this story would be a good idea. In fact, the midnight rendezvous that Jacob just read really is bizarre, isn't it? And more than a little bit questionable. What on earth is going on in this story? What does it mean for us? If it's not a guide for dating, uh, then really what are we meant to do with this? And that's what we're going to wrestle with this morning. And without giving too much away, I think we're going to find that actually there are lots of great things we can learn in this story, lessons we can learn about faith, about hope, about those who come to God never being turned away. But before we get to that, we have to go back and get stuck into the story of Ruth again, don't we? We've been in this book, we've been following two desperate, poor, helpless widows. Uh, Naomi is the mother-in-law. She's the heartbroken older woman who has returned to Bethlehem empty, bitter, depressed, because it seems like God has turned His hand against her. Uh, But by her side is plucky Ruth, Uh, the Moabite daughter-in-law, who has actually given up everything to be with Naomi. Uh, She's living like a beggar in a foreign land because of her love for her mother-in-law. And then last time in chapter 2, we saw Ruth go out scavenging for grain. And while she was in the field, she met a remarkable man named Boaz, who was just extremely kind and generous to Ruth and Naomi. And so, for probably about the last six or eight weeks, uh, Ruth's been going to Boaz's field each day, uh, gathering gathering grain. But there's a problem, because now the harvest is coming to a close. And really, things are starting to look desperate again for Ruth and Naomi, because nothing has drastically changed. They have no future security. It's the same predicament as before, except something is different in chapter 3. At the end of chapter 1, Naomi was in the state of despair. She she had no hope. She had no future. She felt all alone. But in chapter 2, something began to change. By some stroke of pure luck, Ruth met a remarkably kind and godly man. 
And he just so happened to be one of Naomi's close relatives. In fact, a guardian redeemer who might actually have a legal obligation to help her. So what's been happening over the last six or eight weeks? Naomi's mind has been whirring. She has been working overtime, dreaming and scheming. And now in chapter 3, verse 1, Naomi emerges as a central character in this story. Before, in chapter 2, Ruth took the initiative, but now Naomi takes control. Depressed Naomi has a spark in her eyes. She has a spring in her step. Why? I think we're seeing what happens when God's grace and kindness begins to shine in a dark heart. What happens when you start to believe that maybe, just maybe, the sovereign, all-powerful Lord is actually on your side? What if God actually was who he said he was? What if he was actually good and gracious and loving and able to use even the hardest things for good? This is our first point this morning. It's a daring dream. A daring dream. For the first time in years, a candle has been lit in Naomi's heart. There's a spark of faith. And what does the spark of faith do? It helps her begin to see. It helps us begin to see. It helps us begin to dream. Think for a moment about what this might mean in your life. What if this God, who who we're here again this morning at Riverbank talking about, this God who says in the Bible that he's gracious and kind, what if that was actually true? What if that was actually true for you in your life? in your family, in your church, what might that mean? I mean, what might that mean for those of us who are struggling, perhaps with our sexuality, perhaps with lust, wondering, is it even possible to start getting victory over this? What would it mean for those of us who just feel angry so often and wonder if we could ever be more peaceful, more patient, What might that mean for those of us struggling with loneliness or with grief or with anxiety? Is it really possible that God could ever give me peace? That that he could give me comfort or healing when I'm feeling like this? God's grace gives us eyes of faith. And with those eyes of faith, we actually can start to see everything differently. We dare to dream. And I'm not talking about some kind of positive thinking dreaming or or manifesting your own destiny. This is a spiritual optimism that is anchored in the certainty that God actually is good, actually is powerful and at work. It is about daring to believe that God's promises could actually come true could actually transform our lives, could grow our church, could save the lost. And actually, that's why we treasure the Bible here at Riverbank. That's why we preach on it, that's why we study it together. Because you and I need to be reminded again and again who God is and what He is doing. And then as we dare to believe that, we're able to dream about what He could do. You know, that is when a church comes alive. That is when we go and make a Vision 2030 plan. That is when we start new ministries. That is when we pluck up the courage to tell Dot about Jesus. So here is Naomi. 
and she is just beginning to glimpse what God might be doing. And this glimmer of hope is going to stir her to action. What do godly people do when they have their hopes pinned on the sovereignty of God? They get to work. Don't, don't ever think that believing in God's sovereignty means that you just sit back and do nothing. No, God's sovereignty drives us to action because we dare to believe that God is actually at work even through us. Well, that brings us to our second point. Uh, we've seen a daring dream. Now we see a risky request. A risky request. Naomi comes up with a crazy plan. It is a plan that might just be crazy enough to deal with all the crazy problems in her life. Uh, we have to remember for a moment how desperate things are for Naomi. So her husband Elimelech has died, so have her only two sons, which means she has no descendants to carry on the family name. Her whole family line is about to be wiped out, and no one will inherit the family land either. In fact, we're going to learn in the next chapter that, that she's so poor that she's actually going to have to sell that land for money which is really a tragedy because that land was a gift from God himself. It was her family's special share in the promised land. And, and there's no way Naomi's going to have another baby now. She's, she's too old. So it's a hopeless situation. Unless, unless there was a redeemer. A redeemer who was willing to marry Ruth, the foreign poor widow. Because you see, there was a special law in Israel that said that if a man died, a relative could marry his widow, and then the first child they had, their firstborn, would actually bear the name of the deceased man instead of the biological father. And so Naomi wonders if she could possibly find a redeemer who was willing to marry Ruth and then let his firstborn son carry on Elimelech's name instead of his. I hope that makes sense. And Naomi hopes that this redeemer would also be willing to buy back the land that she's selling and, and, and give it to her as a gift. Do you see what a crazy plan this is? I mean, I mean what, what person is going to make this kind of sacrifice? Who, who would agree to this? It's a crazy plan, but Naomi can't help but wonder if maybe God has provided Boaz in her life for just this reason. So she dares to dream, and then she hatches a plan. And uh, crack open your Bible if you haven't already. Ruth chapter 2, verse 3. Ruth chapter 3, verse 2. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Uh, winnowing barley is what happened at the end of the season. You've gathered in all the grain, and now you kind of have to um, separate the grain from all the other stalks and chaff. And then overnight, the workers would actually sleep on the threshing floor with the grain, probably to stop it being stolen by thieves. But also, if you were an Israelite reading this story, uh, you would know that threshing floors after dark... They had a reputation for prostitution, for immorality. So as readers, when we hear this plan, we're meant to think, yikes. Uh, what is Naomi actually proposing here? 
Well, read on, verse 3. She says to Ruth, wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. (laughs) Why not just have a chat to Boaz one day in public? Why has Naomi had such a risky plan which seems to involve the potential for Boaz to pursue a sexual encounter? Uh, What does Naomi really think is going to happen when Boaz wakes up and finds a mystery woman in his bed? There there really is no denying that this plan is, is loaded with sexual tension and ambiguity. But I'm not sure we should conclude that Naomi Naomi has just thrown her morals out of the window. Because everything about this plan is careful and clever. So so this plan is really a marriage proposal. Because uncovering Boaz's feet was, was a symbolic way of saying, will you marry me? But Naomi knows that this has got to be one of the most risky proposals ever. It needs to happen in private so, it, so that Boaz is free to decide if he's going to say yes or no. And if he says no, it won't publicly damage his reputation and disgrace Ruth. And it needs to happen when Boaz is in a great mood, uh, ideally after a great day of winnowing and uh, a hearty meal. And as for Ruth, she seems to be dressed up and perfumed like a bride as a way of communicating to Boaz her true intentions. So, what are we we to make of this plan? Potentially problematic, yes, but it seems that Naomi's intentions are sincere. In fact, for Naomi, this high-risk, high-reward plan is really an act of faith. Faith that God has brought Boaz into their lives for a reason. And and so, in verse 5, Ruth courageously agrees to the plan, even though it's going to put her in a very compromising situation. She's going to have to risk a lot. She's going to have to risk her reputation, risk the rejection of Boaz, risk sexual abuse as she tiptoes across the threshing floor in the middle of the night surrounded by sleeping men. And the proposal she's about to make is so gutsy. This is someone younger to someone older, a woman to a man, a Moabite to an Israelite, a a nobody to a business owner. But as we've seen before, Ruth is wholeheartedly committed to Naomi, isn't she? And here again, she is displaying steadfast, loving kindness to her mother-in-law. So she gets herself ready. She heads to the threshing floor. After Boaz finishes dinner and falls asleep, Ruth sneaks up, uncovers his feet, and lies down to wait. And then in the middle of the night, perhaps things get a bit drafty because his feet are uncovered. The man wakes up and lo and behold, there is a woman in his bed. And with his heart probably thumping out of his chest, Boaz whispers, who are you? Verse 9, Ruth replies, I am your servant, Ruth. And then not wanting Boaz to misunderstand her intentions, Ruth goes off script from Naomi's plan. And she makes a bold request right there. Spread the corner of your garment over me, 
since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Why does Ruth say this? What does she mean? Well, the phrase, spread the corner of your garment over me, was the language of a marriage covenant. A man would would cover a woman with part of his garment to symbolize that they were one and that she had come under his protection. So Ruth is saying to Boaz, I am not asking you for a one-night stand. I am asking you to marry me. And get this, not because I've fallen in love with you, but because you are one of our family's guardian redeemers. And I'm actually asking you to marry me so that I can raise up an heir for Naomi to carry on Elimelech's name. That is an incredibly bold request. I think really this is the climax, the peak of the whole book. But there's something else to see hidden in Ruth's words as well. Uh, See, the word for garment there uh, can also be translated wings. And if you remember back to chapter 2, you remember that's the same word that Boaz used when he prayed to God for Ruth. He prayed that God would richly bless Ruth, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, he said. And now here is Ruth coming back to Boaz, poetically, delicately echoing his words and asking him to be the answer to his own prayer. She's saying, what if the way that God is going to spread his wings over me is that you would spread your wings over me in marriage. Will you be God's kindness to me? This really is a beautiful display of faith in action. Faith dares to believe that God might actually be willing to redeem us and help us, And then it takes that promise to the bank. It goes all in. It risks it all. It desperately and boldly cries out to the Redeemer, I don't have a leg to stand on, but I need your help. It reminds me of the man with leprosy in Mark chapter 1. You might remember, he, he comes to Jesus. He begs on his knees and he says, If you are willing, you can make me clean. That That's us isn't it? We're like Ruth and Naomi and that leper. We're spiritually poor. We're outcast because of our sin problem. We're unable to pay our spiritual debt. We're unable to change our eternal destinies, which are, which are doomed. And all we can do is what Ruth did. We go to the Redeemer and we say, if you are willing, you can redeem me. I need you to redeem me. I need you to to be willing to put your life on the line for me, to marry me, to bear all the costs for me. I don't have anything to offer you. My only hope is that you are kind, extremely kind. I need you, Lord, I need you. I wonder if you've ever said words like that to Jesus That's what it looks like to put your faith in the Redeemer. We dare to believe He might actually be able to save us and then we go to Him boldly and desperately with our requests. Have you done that? Have you ever done that? Are you doing that again and again, daily? 
So we've seen a daring dream. We've seen a risky request. But what now? How will the Redeemer respond? That brings us to our third and final point, a gracious guarantee. A gracious guarantee. As Ruth lies there in the dark, anxiously waiting for Boaz to reply, she hears him whisper back, verse 10, The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Boaz isn't annoyed. He is delighted. Why? Because of Ruth's noble character, which which has gained a reputation in the whole town. He's delighted because she is a godly woman. She trusts completely in Yahweh. And she's been so kind to Naomi. Did you notice that, that interesting statement? He says, This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. Now, is he saying here, Oh, wow, you've been so kind to me because I'm an older dude, uh, and yet you've chosen me instead of someone who might have been more attractive or, or richer or younger? I don't think so. The clue is Boaz referring to an earlier act of kindness. What what act of kindness is that? I think it's almost certainly Ruth's initial act of kindness to Naomi in chapter 1, when she made this, this covenant and pledged to support her and follow her. And now Boaz says, Ruth, your kindness continues to amaze me. Not only were you willing to give everything up to follow Naomi, but now you're even willing to choose a marriage that will provide redemption for her. You could have married for love or for wealth, and instead you are marrying out of loyalty to Naomi. You remember what we said a few weeks ago? We said that the story of Ruth is a love story, but not primarily a story between Ruth and Boaz. It's a love story about Ruth and Naomi. And Boaz realizes this, and it stirs his heart. Guys, just, just take a look at this inspiring righteous man for a minute. In a private, dark, sexually loaded moment, the thing he sees and admires in Ruth is her godly character. He loves the way that she loves Naomi. And so instead of selfishly trying to gain a one-night stand... He instead vows with his life to do all that Ruth asks. Is he willing to marry a Moabite outcast with no connections and no money? Yes. Is he willing to give up his firstborn to carry on Naomi's line instead of his? Yes. Is he willing to buy back Naomi's field and then just give it to her as a gift? Yes. Ruth would have been so comforted to hear those gentle words. Aren't they beautiful? Do not be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. And friends, isn't this our Redeemer? When we call on Him, He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't hesitate to even give up His own life to ransom us, to free us from our bondage to sin and death. This is the main thing I want us to take away today. 
those who put their faith in the Redeemer will not be disappointed. His heart is dripping with kindness. It is that kindness that led him to the cross where he laid down his life for us. And it's that kindness which continues to fill his heart, even now, this morning, in heaven, as he continues every day to pour grace and help into our lives. When the leper came to Jesus and said, if you're willing, it then says Jesus' heart was immediately filled with compassion and he responded, I am willing. I am willing. Christian, be assured, when you pray, when you rely on the Redeemer, you can be absolutely sure He will hear you. He will help you. Which doesn't mean that everything is instantly resolved, however. Because just when we think we can hear wedding bells, Boaz throws a curveball. Verse 12 Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. There's another redeemer, and he's got first right to redeem the family. And so the engagement is postponed before it's even happened, and Boaz will have to go into town in the morning and settle the matter. And so Ruth, she waits at Boaz's feet till morning. It would have been very dangerous for her to just walk home in the middle of the night. But she leaves at the crack of dawn before anyone might recognize her and draw the wrong conclusions about what happened on the threshing floor that night. But before Ruth leaves, Boaz loads up Ruth's shawl with six measures of barley, which is a huge amount of grain. And she then returns home to tell eagerly awaiting Naomi, who probably got no sleep, about the events of the night. While Boaz hurries into town to speak to the Redeemer which we'll get to next week. As the sun rises, Ruth and Naomi begin to realize that their circumstances have completely changed. Do you remember in chapter 1, Naomi was empty? Now, verse 17, there is a Redeemer who is determined that Naomi will never be empty again. And who knows, perhaps one day Ruth's going to bring home something else for Naomi Maybe not just seeds of grain, but a different kind of seed. Maybe even the seed of a child born to the line of Elimelech. Chapter 3 ends on a note of tension, and it's a tension that you and I know well, because our redemption is not yet complete. There's so much that we still yearn for. Don't we long to experience the tender intimacy of being face-to-face with our Redeemer? We long for our heavenly wedding day, when Jesus Christ and His bride, the church, will be together forever. Our redemption is not yet complete, but like Ruth and Naomi, we wait with confidence. Why? Have a look at verse 18, see what Naomi says. Naomi said, wait, my daughter until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Where does our confidence come from? It comes from our Redeemer. In the fact that He will not rest until the matter is settled. I don't know if you noticed, but in verse 1, we began with Ruth needing to find a home, or literally a place of rest. 
And now the chapter ends in the last verse with Boaz not resting until that rest is provided. His restlessness guarantees our rest. We'll have to wait for next week to see the jaw-dropping finale of chapter 4, to see the ultimate redemptive plan that God has for Naomi. But for now, I hope that God is stirring your heart again with, with gospel optimism, giving you faith, giving you hope again to expect great acts of redemption in your life, in your family, in this church, in our city, in the world. As I was preparing the sermon this week, I was listening to that, that old song, There is a Redeemer. I think that really sums up this passage, even our lives. There is a Redeemer. Jesus God's own son. I, I just can't think of anything more life-transforming than that. There is a redeemer. How might that change the way that you live, the way that you work, the way that you die? Transforms how you deal with sin and guilt in your life. Completely changes how you look at other people around you. This is what makes outreach so glorious and so joyful and so essential. There is a Redeemer. Let's come to Him now in prayer again. Oh Jesus, we thank You that You are our Redeemer. We relate to Ruth and Naomi because we have experienced hopelessness and despair Lord, our futures are so bleak without you. We dare not even think and meditate on where we would be for eternity if you were to leave us in our sins, if you were to give us what we deserved. And yet you haven't. You've sent us Jesus, your Son. And he's come to bear all the costs He's willing. He's kind. He came and He gave up His life for us on the cross. And He has united us to Himself through the Holy Spirit. So that we're one. Even now, even as we long for that day when it's, it's complete and we're in heaven with you forever, even now we have confidence, we have certainty that our sins are washed away, that our futures are bright, that the sun is dawning and rising, Lord, that there is redemption because there is a Redeemer. There is hope for our world. There is hope for the brokenness. We pray that Riverbank would be a beacon of light, that we would shine this hope far and wide this week. We pray, Lord, I pray, that this hope wouldn't die at the end of Sunday and be forgotten tomorrow morning as we go to school and uni and work. Lord, there is a Redeemer. We pray that that glorious news would transform every day of our lives, that it would fill us with hope unquenchable, and that it would make us brave evangelists for you until you come again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.